Our reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 1 to verse 9, found on page 1148. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray you come alongside each and every one of us as we hear your word today. Touch our hearts and minds and give us discernment to how you're speaking to us individually. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Evelyn. I kind of feel like I've been parachuted into a fairly hot landing zone here. Um, uh, Yet this is the word of God. Uh, I feel that this title has been forced upon me. Um, But I feel a bit more like this about it. Uh, Maybe some of you do too. Um, uh, We may feel that uh, we've had enough of the theme of sex. Uh, We may feel uh, all sorts of uh, angst about uh, either of those three words there. Um, Some of us may be uh, struggling uh, to, um, uh, with with, uh, getting it wrong and and unhealthy addictions and any talk about this doesn't, doesn't, seems to fan flames that you're trying to put out. And you also may feel that um, uh, the text that uh, uh, Evans read to us just now um, has a slightly uh, strange view of marriage, a slightly one-sided view maybe, uh, maybe down on marriage, uh, maybe a bit too much uh, focused on uh, uh, marriage as an outlet for sex. You may well feel that reading this passage. And um, so uh, what I would like to say actually is I think this is, a, this is a passage for everybody. This is a chapter for everybody. It's actually a very nice part of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's the only chapter in the middle of the book that hasn't got a single criticism in it. It's all very positive pastoral advice. And, um, and so uh, that's, that's one nice thing. It's also good, here we are as a family, maybe uh, uh, all in different positions. Paul addresses those different positions in, in this chapter. Uh, we are one family together. 
when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. When one part suffers, we all suffer. And it's good to understand each other. It is to some degree also a window on God's good design. And some of you may feel almost a part of the family. You may feel that you're looking in. You may feel, well, what's, what, 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 what's God asking? This is a good answer in this chapter. And I hope to bring some of that out. So what I want to do, uh, as I looked at this passage, I thought, well, the first thing to do is just to go through it. Go through it on its own terms and, say, uh, and, and see what it actually says. The next thing is, as well as um, a warning sign, it also points me inevitably to some stuff that, we've, uh, that, that we need also to look at. So there's a beautiful passage that uh, Ed brought to us last week when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And I think this passage connects so directly with that. And the other thing, of course, marriage is something that should be done with love at its absolute foundation. And given that it wasn't Paul's business to look at that here in chapter 7 because he's, he's got his mind on some other stuff, uh, let's go forward, let's go to somewhat later in the letter and have a look at what he says about love. And so I'll come back to that in, uh, as we get to, uh, um, uh, well, as we, as we go on. So let's um, uh, start by just walking through the, the passage itself. And there's the, the structure of it. And it appears that this passage starts with a letter that uh, some people in the Corinthian church wrote to Paul. Um, and they said, well, uh, and they were probably on side with Paul from what the, the, the subject material of the previous um, uh, few chapters where there'd been this terrible case of incest. Um, there had been um, people going and taking temple prostitutes and there'd been all sorts of uh, sexual horror in the uh, um, community in Corinth and even in the Christian community in Corinth. And, and they were saying, look, this is all, uh, this is all um, you know, bad stuff. And we really agree with you, Paul, that Jesus bought us at a price. Our bodies are not our own. They're temples of the Holy Spirit, and we want to honour God with our body. So, here's a suggestion. Is it not better that a man should not have sexual relations with a woman at all? And so that's the first verse in the passage, and it's really suggesting that maybe total abstinence is a great strategy. So the next three verses, Paul says, no, that's not really... Um, uh, that's not really the, 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 the thing. The real thing is that um, sex was designed to be uh, part of marriage. And so, yes, there's lots of immorality around, and, and that has really two effects. It, 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 it loosens your thinking that, that sex is part of marriage, and also it inflames those desires um, that are you know, part of being a human being. And, and since there is so much of that around, and since, um, you know, and we need a, a proper answer uh, to uh, where sex should be, uh, the answer is in marriage. And so each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have her own husband. And then he says, um, uh, and really, without quoting it, he's going back to Genesis chapter 2, where um, uh, you remember that... Uh, uh, Adam and Eve came together, and it says, well, in this way, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And um, that's a text that Jesus also quoted when he was talking about marriage. And whatever else that means, and it actually does mean a whole lot else, uh, whatever else that means, it means that within marriage, there is um, uh, an ongoing sexual relationship. 
And that comes out, doesn't it, really, in verses 3 and 4, where Paul says um, that, uh, in effect, um, your body is not your own um, in marriage, that, that um, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, the wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, and it's expected that there is an ongoing uh, sexual relationship there. Um, and um, so then there is a question that comes, well, should there ever be any abstinence within marriage? Um, and Paul says in, in, in verse 5, uh, don't deprive each other. Uh, so it doesn't say how often you'll come together, but it does say, it does expect it, I suppose, to be ongoing. And um, he said, but actually, occasionally there will be breaks. And so he gives one reason why that might be uh, for uh, prayer, for uh, perhaps a season of prayer, not just uh, an ordinary time of prayer. Um, uh, and that's very intense, and you don't want any distractions from that. Maybe there are some other reasons. Uh, maybe, um, uh, you know, some of us on business, we need to go away, uh, spend some nights away. Uh, maybe sometimes there is a, a family care situation, uh, which either is very intense or which takes us away. Um, maybe uh, there are just some times in life when it just isn't the right time. Uh, I don't know how some of us, are, many of us are familiar with that beautiful passage in Ecclesiastes 3, where there is a time for every activity under heaven. And one of the things he says is there is a time to embrace, but there's also a time to refrain from embracing and many of us, just occasionally, we, 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 there is definitely a time to refrain. And so there are these times where by mutual consent and for a time, um, there is a break. Um, Paul is very uh, careful here to say it is a matter of mutual consent. Um, so it's not unilateral. Um, if it is, there's, there's some other problem there uh, that needs to be sorted out. Um, and also that it's time limited. And he said, this is a serious issue, right? So if it goes on too long, Satan may tempt you. It may be that that original agreement, that original mutual consent, one party doubts that uh, um, that, that, that was in good faith and, 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 and that time goes on and you get tempted and you think of other things and, 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 and so you should come back together again, Paul says. So um, it's, it's pastoral advice about people who uh, a, a good reason to be married, that's the context for sex. And, and Paul gives, considering that he was single himself, some quite sensitive pastoral advice about the matter. Then he comes on in the next few verses to say, actually, you ought to consider singleness too. There are some big advantages to being single. Um, if you read on the very next verse, verse 10, outside of our passage, but next week, uh, if you're married, you're committed. You, 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 you can't get out of it, right? So Paul says, you know, a wife mustn't divorce a husband, a husband must, mustn't divorce his wife. So if you're single, you're not committed. That can be an advantage, can't it? Sometimes we don't want those commitments. So you're free of commitment. That's one advantage. Another is that you're free of trouble. Um, marriage brings troubles that not being married doesn't have. Uh, you're responsible suddenly for at least one other person, deeply responsible for at least one other person. Uh, maybe if you've got kids, more than one other person. And then everything is more of a faff. And that's even, <laughs> that's even worse if there is trouble. 
And there was trouble. Uh, Paul talks about a present crisis. We don't know what that crisis was, but when you look at, um, whenever you look at refugees, when you look, when we look at Ukraine, when we look to Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria, people coming out of those countries, fleeing trouble, it's terrible, but it's terribly terrible for people who are trying to organise families, trying to organise um, uh Young families especially, Jesus said that, didn't he? How terrible it would be for pregnant women and nursing mothers if you have to flee. Um, And and so you have troubles that you don't have as a single person. I can even remember this personally, just after 9-11, with two um, daughters and one on the way, and uh, thinking, I've got, I I, I don't know how I'm going to look after this little group of people, after my wife and these these kids. And, and so there is trouble that you have, especially in a time of crisis. And that also comes in, in times of persecution. Uh, how many of us have seen that and noted that in, in times of persecution? All sorts of places in the world where you've got um, family to think about, it's harder. So Paul says there is a crisis, and I want to spare you those troubles. There are some advantages in being single. Um, also, you can focus. So in chapter, um, in this chapter, verses 32 and 35, he says, uh, if you're single, you can be devoted to the Lord only, and if you're married, you need to be devoted to your other half as well. Uh, And so you have, um, uh, uh, you know, questions of focus. And Paul was able to do anything in his ministry. He was able to up sticks and uh, and go to, uh, you know, Macedonia or uh, Achaia or Pontus or wherever it was that he was called, he could just go there. Um, but Peter, who uh, you'll read in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he did his evangelism and his apostolic ministry with his wife, um, with him. He had to think about his wife. So Paul could take friends, but he could choose this friend, that friend this time. Peter always had to take his wife. So if, if you want to be able to focus, um, sometimes it's, uh, it's good to be... Um, that's an advantage of being single. But only, says Paul... By the way, of focus, I find that being married helps me with focus too. Um, and I think many of us could testify to that. We get very good advice in our ears and or we have the incentives to manage our time well. Um, that, um, and, and so there are some advantages that I'll just throw in there about being married as well. But, um, uh, but Paul says here that there are these advantages to being single, but it has to be a gift. Paul felt that he had that gift. And uh, it will stress self-control. So if that's an issue, it may be better to get married. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he he brings all of those things in and uses this word concession at the beginning. Now, I have long thought that that word concession applied to coming back together again after a time in part in marriage. Actually, it doesn't make sense that. It really seriously doesn't make sense. It's just a pity that there isn't a paragraph break here in our Bibles because... I think the concession, if anything, was to being married at all. Um, And I only know enough Greek to be dangerous, but I love the word for concession here. It suggests following a pointer. Uh, And it suggests, like, if if the facts are pointing in that way, get married. If they're pointing in that way, be single. And I just love the fact that Paul, in this passage, is looking at everybody, looking at their situations, 
He's completely even-handed between men and women, isn't he? The Corinthian letter put it from a man's perspective. People often think Paul is one-sided, but in this passage, he's actually completely even-handed between men and women, right to the end of the chapter. Uh, There's not a single thing he says about men that he doesn't say about women too, and vice versa. Um, He also is even-handed about the status of the people that he's talking to. He talks in the few verses uh, that Evelyn read about married and single and widowed people. He also talks in the rest of the people about divorced people and engaged people. So I don't think that leaves too many bases uh, uncovered. And he's been really pastoral here about people's situation. And um, it just, uh, in a way, you could say, um, you know, after the previous few chapters, which have been really quite uh, um, uh, vivid uh, in, in, in putting the Corinthians right, these chapters are just a beautiful um, thing in saying, look, if this is your situation, you, you actually need to be who you are, and you actually need to do what you need to do, um, and follow those pointers. Um, and it, it just brought me back to um, the text that we were looking at last week. Why did Jesus want to uh, draw people in who were feeling weary and burdened? Why did he say, come to me if you're feeling weary and burdened? Well, some of those burdens are the ones that uh, you know, Ed brought to us last week about being um, uh, sad or, um, or, or, or burdened down with sin. But one of them... Uh, was uh, heavy teachers. The, the people who uh, were bringing answers in Jesus' day were these heavy Pharisees with a great big rule book. And you had to follow these. First of all, remembering the rules was hard. And then secondly, following them was hard. And thirdly, you had no idea whether you were actually following well enough to please God. So the whole thing was a burden. And Jesus says, no, no, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because I crack up because it's so good. Because I only ask, I save you by grace. You come to me, and um, no one who comes to me, I will turn to everyone um, who comes to me. Basically, I will, I will raise them up at the last day. Come to me. It's that easy. There is nothing more to it than coming to Christ. Um, and so, actually, um, the people of his day were, were getting these uh, heavy teachings from the Pharisees, we can get heavy expectations in our day. Um, There are some uh, churches, some denominations, some Christian cultures that definitely communicate an ethos that it's better to be married and that definitely communicate an ethos that it's better to have kids and probably definitely to have lots of kids and probably to give them biblical names. Um, And that creates pressure, doesn't it? But that pressure does not come from Jesus. He was single. It doesn't come from Paul. He was single. Um, Neither does it come from Peter, who was married. Um, It doesn't come from the Bible. And so Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Um, uh, uh, Just to mention another one, the Roman Catholic Church for millennia has put a a burden on on priests, hasn't it? It said if you want to serve God, uh, you have to uh, give up marriage Uh, and everything that goes with it. And that's, you know, we've got centuries of evidence that that's a burden that can't be borne uh, by most people. It can by some, but by most people that burden is too heavy to bear. But 
Jesus didn't impose that burden. Peter was married. Um, uh, his yoke is, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, and I, I just love that 1 Corinthians 7 gives us that freedom. Um, now, the word love, yes. Marriage needs to be built on love. And, and for this purpose, let's actually just uh, have a, a, a brief... I think, actually, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to be referring to it quite a bit. Um, and I'm going to jump in at verse 4, um, uh, which you'll notice is the beginning of a paragraph where Paul says a lot of things about love. Love is patient. Uh, love is kind. And I've just picked up two more uh, of these things. Love is not self-seeking, and love always protects. I'll put them up there. Uh, and I'm going to keep them up there for the rest of what I'd like to say. So Paul says that this is, um, uh, this is the love um, that we need to build um, all of our relationships on. He's talking in this uh, chapter about building... Um, our relationships in the church. And he says, in the church, you know, there are some gifts that ought to be used. In a proper church, you're going to have these, um, w w whatever it actually means, you're going to have prophecy, you're going to have knowledge, you're going to have um, tongues, uh, and these gifts ought to be used, but they can be used without love. And if you use them without love, going back to the beginning of the chapter, your um, noises are going to be no better than a clashing cymbal. And, and everything that you do is going to gain nothing. It's not going to gain anything for me. It's not going to gain anything for you. And as well, the same is true, isn't it, of sex in marriage. It's something that ought to be there, but if it's done without love, it's, it's, a, it's not constructive, it's actually destructive. Um, and I wanted to really make that point um, today, even though it's not in 1 Corinthians 7, because I, I worry that if, if we... Just look at 1 Corinthians 7. We'll either think that it misses out on this important thing, or we'll think, ah, that sounds great, and then we'll go out and do this without love. And so, to avoid that, let's uh, um, look here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, to see how important it, this is, uh, from a different perspective, just think about our culture in the world today. This is built really on selfishness. Um, all of our culture as, uh, is built on selfishness outside of, um, out, out, outside of the, uh, the godly culture. And um, that, so love is, uh, you know, our, our culture is, is self-seeking. Um, that comes through in pretty much everything we do and it especially comes through in sex. Um, it is impatient. All right, when it comes to sex, we want to uh, people want to start young. Uh, you know, they, they want they want to be able to say, boast about stuff that they've done even before GCSE age. Um, uh, it wants to jump in early. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know why why wait longer than the first date? Um, it's impatient. Um, it doesn't protect. It exploits. It looks for those moments of vulnerability, whether it's an emotional vulnerability, whether it's um, uh, uh, too many drinks on the evening. It looks for those moments of vulnerability and it exploits them. 
and um, and 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 the the porn industry is all about exploitation. It's all about not protecting, but exploiting instead. And so the whole culture that we live in, these are our times, we live in this culture, it's, it's entirely opposite to these descriptions of love here in 1 Corinthians 13. So we, uh, as Christians, we shouldn't be like that. We should not be self-seeking. We should build our marriage from the ground up on not being self-seeking. Um, who does the washing up? That shouldn't be self-seeking. Um, and everything to do with uh, our sex life within marriage should not be self-seeking. Actually, I kind of had to use the word sex in this, um, uh, in, in this uh, sermon because that's current vocabulary. I don't use that word in my married life. Um, Use a word that you can put honour to rather than one that's just a, 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 a mechanical or a, or a tainted word. Use, use, use vocabulary that's based on love. Uh, it's a, um, start, start with love. Start with love. Be patient. Um, patient starts with, uh, I suppose, waiting for the right partner. Um, wait for marriage uh, if you are married uh, very often you need to wait for the right time um, love is patient love is patient within marriage uh, and protect um, uh, strictly private um, uh, no photos nothing um, that you both don't enjoy. Love always protects. So we need to build our life, our married life, uh, on love in that way. Why do we do that? We do it for two reasons. We do it because it's good. I hope, um, uh, I hope everybody thinks this is good, um, whether we are part of the church or whether we're just looking in. And I hope, um, and we, but we do it also because God first loved us. And he loved us like this. If you look at God's love, it begins with he is kind. He's kind to have given us an amazing creation. Um, a creation with lots of things to do, lots of interesting stuff, um, exciting things. A creation with friendships, creation with relationships, creation with intimacy. All of those things come from God. God is kind too in forgiving us our sin. Um, actually, the very root of our sin is that we don't recognize his kindness in creation. We don't attribute that to God. We don't glorify him as God and we don't give thanks to him. But he's kind in forgiving us that. Um, uh, he is not self-seeking. He sacrificed himself to enable that forgiveness that he can then offer us. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. That was not self-seeking. He's patient. He puts up with us saying, no, 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 maybe not yet. All the time he puts up with us and yet he still um, wants us to come to salvation, wants us to come to him, appeals to us again and again. He is patient. Um, there are a lot of religions in this world that exploit people, that gather communities for 
money or power or prestige or something. But Jesus does not do that. He's not one of those people who's come to steal and kill and destroy. He's the good shepherd who's come that his people may have life uh, and have it to the full. And so God's love is, um, uh, is, is what underlies our love. It motivates our love. If we've received that love from God, that's the love that we should be living out in our lives. Um, uh, and it models our love if we think about how God does it. That's, so it motivates and it models. And this love is forever. You're down again in uh, chapter 13 here, Paul says, Love never fails, um, but where there are tongues they will be stilled, uh, etc. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, the gifts that we have to, 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 in our church services today, they will one day no longer be needed. And they will pass away, but the love between us will never pass away. And so the love is more important. And equally, uh, in married life, sex is actually temporary too. It will fail eventually, through death, for sure. Uh, maybe, um, maybe through sickness. Uh, maybe uh, age creates difficulties. But that love has got to be there all the time. And that's why love is greater. Love is more important. It's the foundation of our married life. Uh, it must be. Um, uh, so, uh, and not just in marriage, of course, but in all our relationships, uh, in church uh, and with friends and everybody that uh, we're involved with. So I bring this to a close now. And... Um, uh, Ed likes us to have a discussion over coffee question, uh, and um, you're feeling the challenge, right? <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so I, I um, uh, this is what I propose. So, uh, I think this works for pretty much everybody. What a difference it makes to base your life uh, generally, and especially when it comes to sex and marriage. What a difference it makes to base your life on this love, compared with a worldly culture that starts with the exact opposite of what's up there. Um, so let me just suggest, since we're in different situations here, let me suggest a few situations where you might want to, perspectives that you can look at that question through. What a difference does it make to build our life on God's love rather than the world's desire? Look at those four words. Maybe um, uh, look at that question in, your, in our lives generally. What a difference does it make? Maybe for uh, those of us who are married, maybe we should look at that question again, just to a bit of a check. Uh, can, we, can we do even better? Uh, maybe uh, some of you uh, might get married one day. Um, and um, or maybe you're, you're, you're seriously thinking about it. What difference does this make in how you aim, what you're, th what you're thinking about, how you conduct, um, uh, you know, how you date, how you think about who to date? What difference does this make? Um, maybe there are some people who, here who are struggling with uh, unhealthy addictions. My suggestion is think about God's love Think about how it always protects. Um, I think if there's one of those words in um, 1 Corinthians 13 there that helps 
control um, unhealthy behavior here, that protecting, that desire to protect, to protect other individual people as God has protected and as, and as he loves us. That desire is very, I, I hope, is a very powerful thought that should help us um, when we are just, when we are being um, selfish and when we're getting involved in things that, that really aren't, aren't healthy. Um, parents, um, uh, especially those of you who've got, um, you know, whose kids are maybe approaching the end of primary school or the beginning of secondary school and they're getting into all this world and um, uh, how are you going to help them navigate this? And, and you're certainly not going to be able to hide the world's selfish attitudes in general and in sex in particular. You're not going to be able to hide that. But what you can do um, is uh, guide. Uh, and you can say, look, help you, you, we, we can help our kids to see where it leads. Uh, we can help our kids to see God's love and to see where that leads. And we can show what things are like. Uh, I, I talked with a couple of folks here about about stuff like that and it's um and and maybe not on on a broad range of subjects i think it's really exciting when you see your your, your kids growing into adults and and owning things for themselves and seeing that god's way is best and it gives you a boost as a parent and it and it sets your kids up for um uh you know for for, for trusting god for knowing that he is good um, and, and for, for seeing his purposes. So um, definitely uh, it's, it's good to think about this as, as parents as well. So um, I, I hope that's been uh, helpful for everybody. Here we are as a, as a, as a church family. Um, I, I hope that helps us to understand each other. I've, I've spent more time talking about marriage, but... Paul spent equal time in here talking about marriage and singleness. Um, uh, and he's thinking about you know, people in all stages of the church. It's good to understand um, each other. Some of our different struggles and, and, and joys and so on. I hope that's been helpful for us all here. Um, these uh, forces are powerful. They're a big part of our identity. But the most important, really, is... Um, that we find our deepest identity in Christ, that we do um, come to him. Um, his yoke, there, there is a yoke. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to love. But it's an easy yoke. And it's a yoke that doesn't make um, demands on our status here. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't have us reading a long rule book. Um, it's his yoke is easy and his burden is light um, so let's uh, take his yoke upon us and not, not somebody else's let's take Jesus' yoke upon us Amen <laughs>